Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. So today we're joined by Matt Cook, financial advisor, CFP. This is going to be a great show today. Matt has transitioned from the captive world to being independent, and he's going to walk us through his journey, some of the pros, some of the cons, and really give you a deep dive into what it's like if you're thinking about it. And for me, it was a long time ago. So if I'm thinking back on my journey, it was back in 2011, and a lot has changed between now and 2011. So it's it's going to be really impactful to hear from somebody who just went through this. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, Jim. Hey, thanks for joining us. This has been a long time coming. I, I want to first off, thank you for staying on top of me for this. I've been very distracted in my own personal life and business. And you, you've been you've been very patient, so I want to thank you for that as we get into this. And I know a lot of people are clamoring to hear about this. So, Matt, let's walk through your story first off. How long have you been in the business? So I've, I've been a financial planner for probably almost seven years now. Started out in the captive world, like you mentioned, and then just recently transitioned to LPL Financial as an independent advisor back in March. So that's kind of my story of how I got to where I am today. Awesome. You know, when you... When you transitioned to LPL, was that biggest move of your life, biggest decision? Yes. Outside of, you know, deciding to have children. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Best decision of my life. It was incredibly scary. It, there's a lot of unknowns and so it's something that I did not take lightly. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's life-changing in a lot of ways. You leave, you leave the nest, if you will, and get out there and spread your wings and fly on your own. So I, I kind of want to go through your journey as an advisor, and then let's get to the point where you've made your decision to transition and then what that is all about. So when you started as an advisor, kind of walk us through your journey. What were you doing before? Why did you decide to become a financial advisor? Yeah. So on, when I graduated college, I was very unsure of what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't have a whole lot of direction. And so I, I sort of got into real estate sales and pretty quickly realized that was a very transactional business. You know, the relationships you have with these people, you might see them four or five, 10 years down the road when they decide to sell their home. And so I was looking for something that was a little bit more relationship-based. And a friend of mine, when I was living in Raleigh, was an advisor for my previous firm. And so I had lunch with her, talked to her a little bit about it. And it was very intriguing to, you know, to say the least about what she did for a living, kind of what her day-to-day -day looked like. And so... Anyway, started the application process, went through their rigorous interview process, and ended up moving to St. Louis to do some on-the-job training for six months. I lived there. And so I guess it was about August of 2017 that I started officially practicing, you could say, and started out knocking on doors like everybody else. You know, it was August and hot. Hot. And so, well, anyways... We had, I, I, in my opinion, I think we had some pretty decent success in the first four or five years of, you know, our practice brought in a decent amount of clients and had, had some good success. And then, you know, kind of as the business developed, as I personally developed in, in kind of my knowledge base and what we did for clients, I started to kind of see the writing on the wall of what we were 
able to do in my prior firm and then what some of the capabilities that we had at other firms. And so that's kind of when I started to look at some other options and trying to figure out and just inform myself about what else was out there and, and what was available to me. Yeah. When you were, when you were an advisor at your last firm, did you feel, did you feel constrained or did you feel pretty wide open to do the things you wanted to do? Like what, what caused you to kind of start looking around a little bit? We felt very constrained and it really wasn't until I got my CFP that I really understood what a true financial planner was. You know, when you go through your CFP training and, you know, you're, you're making recommendations based on estate planning and tax planning and, and all different facets of a client's life and those were all areas that we were very much handcuffed on. And so I just felt like there was a lot more for me to be able to offer to my clients. That was a big part of it. The other one was the ability to be able to use our own technologies, whatever we felt was a good fit for our practice. The, the softwares and things that they had, they were fine. There was nothing inherently wrong with them. But I just felt like sometimes they might have been a little prehistoric and there were other options out there that would maybe offer a better service for our clients. And then the last thing that was kind of the nail in the coffin. So we, back in 2021, we had gotten a point in the business where we really needed to hire someone. And at the time, there was a lot of red tape around hiring as we were coming out of COVID and things like that. And I was told by our home office that we had 98 million under management at the time. And I was told that if we didn't have a hundred million under management, we were not eligible to hire. As, so, if that two, as if that extra $2 million means so much. Yeah. And it, it, it was frustrating to me because there are plenty of advisors that are on their firm who have several hundred million dollars. They talk with their clients once a year, they do no planning, but they would be eligible to hire someone. Whereas we run a very efficient practice and we do very in-depth comprehensive planning to our clients and needed the support, yet the ability for me to be able to hire someone and bring on that additional support staff to continue the growth was restricted. So, Yeah, I'd be very frustrated by that for sure. Yeah, you know, a couple of things struck me as you were going through there and I want to, I, I just want to underline them because I think they were really good. You talked about planning and you're a bit constrained and I think if you're, if you really call yourself a fiduciary, you needed the full suite of services and products to be able to do it because ultimately you're going to run into a situation where you're likely not to be able to act in your client's best interest if you don't have access to something. And then additionally, you talked about the tech and you know, I don't, what, what kind of financial planning software do you use right now? What company? So we're currently using right capital. Yeah. yeah. Get, game changer, right? Like it is absolute. If you. If people haven't used it and people at captive firms just can't understand this, Right Capital is like a Ferrari, but with an Apple iPhone interface. It is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very user-friendly. You know, we, we tested out the prior firm that we were at was switching to Money Guide Pro. And so, you know, I tested that out just out of curiosity, got a free trial. And to be quite honest with you, I did not like it at all. It just was not a good fit for my practice. Not to say that it's a bad product at all, but the right capital was just very user-friendly, both from the client and the advisor interface. And, you know, we just felt like they gave us the tools that we needed to be able to do more comprehensive planning. Right. Yeah, it makes, makes complete sense. And, and this is not a pitch for right capital. I mean, use what you want. Money Guy Pro, when, when I became an independent advisor back in 2011, the interface and the technology looks the same today, I think, as it did then. So 
it, it's the the outcomes are good and the planning is actually really good, but the reports look the same to me. So I, I get it completely. I want to kind of go back. I think it's I think it's fascinating the story. So ninety eight million dollars. Walk me through that the origin story of that. You, you were knocking on doors to grow it. What else did you do to grow your business to that level? Yeah. So we started off knocking on doors. We started off doing a lot of seminars, things like that. So we we brought in on our own was it. 75 million in the first five years. And then I think year two or three, we had an advisor left. And so we had the opportunity to take over his practice. Now, granted, he was not known for having a very clean book. And so many of his clients ended up in our connections is what they call it. And so it was, I think we ended up with probably 10 or 15 million is what was left over at the end of the day from, so that's kind of how I got to that 98 mark. Right. Now you mentioned we. Is, do you have a business partner? No, what I you know I kind of view my assistant and I, Sierra. She's you know we kind of refer to ourselves as a team, and so you know she ended up making the transition with me, and so we we try to build a team effort here, and that's kind of why I always refer ourselves as we. Yeah, perfect. And and I think mean, it's really wise. I mean, if you want to make your team, if you want to make the people on your team feel. Like they're part of the team, you've got to use that language. It's uh, there's some subliminal and psychology going on there. Seventy five million dollars in five years is huge, though. Did that all come from one client? Like that's a that that's amazing. That's really really fast, good growth. A any other things you attribute it to? What what's the secret sauce? If being in the right spot at the right time, I think you know it's you know luck favors hard work, and you know we I worked my tail off for about three or four years, really getting out there and. You know, I wouldn't be remiss if I didn't say that luck had a little bit to do with it. You know, I just knocking on the right door at the right time. You know, we ran it one big client. It was a $6 million from a cold call. And so it's just, just doing the work thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, ama it's amazing how lucky you can get when you actually work successfully. Well, you, you What's that? You got to be there to be lucky. So. You do. Yeah. You know, and Greg talks about this a lot that success leaves trails. And, and, and it's, it's usually not by accident where people, people end up growing their business to where, to where you have. So first off, congratulations on the, on the growth and the success for you and Sierra. Fantastic and amazing. Let's, let's begin then to talk about the, the journey. So you've, you've now you built your business. The, the firm you're with is telling, you, no, you're at $98 million, which is like, you know, a 1% move, 2% move in the market per day. And you can't hire someone. What? What do you start to do? You start to look around. How did you make a decision? You know, you made your decision to leave, but now you're looking at firms. How are you making those decisions? What's that? What's that process like? Blind. It's kind of one of those things you don't know what you don't know. And so it was really, it was a lot of due diligence. We interviewed about 10 different firms across a broad spectrum of offerings. And so we, we actually worked with, and I cannot remember the name of the company, but it was a third party recruiting team. And so that was extremely beneficial for us because they were very impartial. They listened to kind of what we were looking for, the design of the practice that we wanted, and then they kind of tailored their recommendations based on that versus, you know, if you go talk to a, you know, just a Ray J recruiter or an LPL recruiter, they're going to talk their firm up like it's the greatest thing ever. Sure. And it might be, but they're very impartial. And so just having that third-party sounding board can kind of tell you, you know, we've seen advisors go this route or that. 
these are some of the pros and cons. Some that may not be an ideal fit for you and what you're looking for. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you did now, did you have to pay this group or did they take the, or did the firm you ended up landing at compensate them? The firm we ended up going with compensates them. Okay. So you, it, it, it's just another vetting tool in your, in your, from your perspective, did, did that impact your payout at all? Nope. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you feel comfortable with that, if you could email me, I'll put that in the show notes for other people. I think it would be useful to know they exist. I'm sure, I'm sure they would be happy to get their name out there a little bit. That'd be great. You know, so now you've, now you're recruiting firms. So what's important to you? So you're looking at firms, you're talking to them and you're right. If you talk to Raymond James or LPL or Commonwealth or Cambridge, whoever the recruiter is, is going to, you know, they're going to tell you that they're the best firm on the planet. Everybody's happy. It's a great fit for you. What what are you looking for that's important to you as you make this transition? So for us, money was never the driving force. I know that there's a lot of people out there that bounce around from broker dealer to broker dealer, and they, you know, the the big upfront check is what they look for. For us, that was literally the lowest priority. And so we were looking for a firm that would support us to have full autonomy, you know, across hiring, technology platform, investment platforms. And so we actually partnered with a hybrid RIAs and RIA called New Edge Advisors and LPL Financial is our broker dealer. And so one of the things that was very interesting that they offered and maybe other RIAs do this as well, they have what's called a PEO and don't ask me what that stands for because I'm not sure. But basically what it is, so New Edge Advisors has got this, they've got their healthcare, their 401k set up through their RIA. And Sierra is actually not an employee of Stoic Private Wealth. She's an employee of New Edge Advisors. And all that cost get pushed back to me. But the benefit to that is from an employment standpoint, when I want to set up an employer 401k for myself, I'm not subject to the testing rules. I can do like a defined benefit or defined contribution plan down the road and things like that. I also don't have to go through the headache of finding a third party healthcare plan, sending them a 401k plan that's all done for me. So it's a very turnkey process that they have. And that was appealing to me. Yeah, that's cool. You can outsource, you can outsource all those employee benefits and the, and, and the liability associated with it. So fantastic. You pay, I'm guessing you pay a premium to do that or something a little bit above, but at the end of the day, if you don't have to worry about payroll and everything else, fantastic, right? Yeah. So they've actually got a pretty cost-effective options. So New Edge, they take, they take 9% off the top line revenue. So we get a 91% payout on advisory assets. We get a 90% payout on broker dealer brokerage business. And then they charge five basis points for assets under their care, essentially. So that covers, you know, that's the only cost that they offer or charge us for in healthcare, all this stuff. Now, granted, you know, whatever I decide to cover for my employees from a healthcare perspective or the 401k max, those costs get pushed back to us, but you know, that's to be expected. So as you're beginning to scale your business, that's a really cost-effective way to do it as opposed to having to bring all that under your own roof, especially when you're getting started. Now, as your business grows, will that continue to make economic sense if you brought three other people on? And that's maybe not a question to answer today, but have you thought about that? Would you would you still do that arrangement or would it make sense to break away and have more of a, you know, truly independent model at that point? 
We've, we've definitely considered that. We're actually in the process of hiring our relationship manager now, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, to be quite honest with you, I've not given it too much thought. I've had a lot of other stuff on our plate, but, you know, the idea of starting our own RIA down the road has certainly crossed my mind, but the platform that New Edge offers us right now is a great fit for us, and it's been you know, he's taken a lot of load off of my plate. So I'm very happy with our situation. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. As you're, as you begin to make your decision, so you, you found your model, you found the company you wanted to work for, you know, what were some of the questions that you think are important to ask a broker dealer before you join them? Well, one of the things that I learned, and I did not know anything about this was, and I'm trying to think of the term, it's a ticket charges. Ticket charges are something that will sneak up on you pretty quick. And so, you know, a lot of firms, I, th I know Commonwealth is doing this now, switching to like a five bips model where it's just a flat rate and you don't have to play, pay for every separate trade that you place. And that's what New Edge offers. But I know there's still a lot of options out there where they'll say, okay, well, you get a 91% payout, but we're going to charge you a ticket charge for every trade that you place. So if you run any sort of you know, advisory business where you place trades or do quarterly rebalances for clients, things like that, it does begin to add up. You know, we even heard a horror story during the transition of a guy who had run a pretty large advisory business, placed a lot of quarterly trades. And I think he ended up getting a bill for like 90 grand. So, you know, it, it does add up. So just something to be cognizant of. Sure. You know, I think this is, I mean, it's a question you would want to ask. And the, way, the best way to do it is just to figure out if you had a million dollar advisory account with, let's just say 50 trades a year, you'd go through the process of figuring out exactly what you're going to make your net is on that. And a lot of people will, will advertise that the payout is 90%, but after you get through the program fees and the ticket charges and everything else, the payout could drop down then to 70%. So it's important as people are making these transitions and these moves to really understand what the net net is around that. And then in addition to that, independent broker dealers or even RAs are going to have technology cost and, and ENO and all kinds of other things. So it's not just that, that really magical payout. There's a lot of other expenses built into there. You know, when Matt went, one of, one of his costs was going to be, he's going to have to pay Sierra's social security half of it. And that's not a cost you necessarily incur when you're in a captive firm. So there are some costs that can sneak up on you for sure. So you've made your decision. You're asking the right questions. Now you're beginning to think about when you transition. Now, did you, did you, were you strategic in the time you left? Were you just haphazard? How did you plan that? Well, so our, our prior firm pays out our trimester bonus and they paid out their profit sharing plan at the end of February. And so that was kind of just like, okay, we'll wait until that hits and then we'll leave. So that, you know, as far as like timing, that was really it. I was itching to get out six months prior, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's a fairly large payout there. And we didn't want to miss out on that. And it helped, you know, it helped my BOA as well, because she gets that profit sharing contribution as well. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave and let her leave her hanging on that, that aspect. Yeah. And it's a bonus you earned. <laughs> of course you yeah. want to get paid. Otherwise it, it, the, the firm retains it for hard work. Let me, I want to add something else to our last comment too. Yeah. When you're talking with these recruiters, they're going to send you what's called a pro forma. And just understand that when you look at these, they intentionally make them look very strong in your favor. So you have to use 
your business mindset and understand that there are going to be some added costs that they don't put in there. It shows an 86% payout. You know, it, there's probably a lot of costs that they're not factoring in to those. So my, my biggest piece of advice for everybody is don't, don't leave just for the money. If the money is your driving force, it's not going to be a good move for you because there's a lot of added responsibilities. You know, you are a business owner now. You have a lot more things to think about. And so just getting a higher payout is your only goal and driving force. And I would say it may not be a good move for it. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. There, There is, you have to want to be a business owner and a business owner has lots of responsibilities. Now you've got three jobs when you, when you become a business owner, you've got, you're the owner of the business, you're a financial advisor, but you're also a leader. You have to lead your team and lead your company. And those are all different skill sets at the end of the day. And you have to be prepared for that work. And there's a lot of it. So let's start to talk what the work of a transition looks like. You you made your move. You're doing this. How are you? Are you prepping before? Or are you just going? What, what's without like without? Well, let me back up. I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep into that, Matt. So I'm going to edit that out. I don't want you to share like anything that could get you in trouble there. Yeah. How do you, Matt? Matt, as you're beginning to transition, how are you getting ready to move so you can you can ensure the the highest level of success? Well, you know, the first place or first thing was to try to find a place to hang our sign, right? We had to find an office space, which was incredibly difficult. And so, you know, we looked for about six months to find office space. Everything was just a blank concrete slab. We had to spend, you know, 150 grand or so to update these places. And I was not too interested in, in spending that kind of money fitting someone else's building. So, you know, we ended up finding a spot that we were able to buy, which we were fortunate enough to do. And so that was beneficial, but it was also as much of a headache as it was probably anything because we had to convert residential home to commercial and do all the ADA stuff. And keep in mind, you're doing all this in your backyard, trying to keep everybody, you know, keep everything under wraps because in, you know, small town, like I live in, word gets around when things start happening. It's extremely difficult to keep it all, all under wraps. So that was kind of the first step. The second step, you know, they really, you know, we're, we're not able to take anything with us. So it's really just all about trying to make as many mental notes as you can, trying to remember mentally what you can take with you. And so it was really up to that. And then at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's kind of just, you know, you just hope that your clients come with you. You hope you've done enough to build that relationship. And so we did, we spent about three or four months just building that relationship with clients prior to, we took a lot of clients to lunch. And of course, we never mentioned anything about us leaving, but just trying to deepen that relationship, just trying to solidify things prior to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's really important to, to love, to love your clients before you leave. You got to show your value and you're right. Like you can't tip your hat because you don't want to open yourself up to legal legal consequences from the other side, but that doesn't mean you can't go above and beyond to solidify the relationships. The good news for you when you made the transition is these are all your clients. They, they, they were not, I mean, most of them, at least they weren't firm clients. You know, you just didn't come in and inherit a hundred million dollar book. You, you scraped and fought and built it, which is, you know, awesome. So those clients had a lot of loyalty to you and maybe not necessarily the brand name of the firm you were with, which is really helpful. And then underlining that for them is a big deal. So now you, now you've turned your resignation in, you've left, 
What, what happens at that point? So it was an interesting first day. So I was not informed this way. It takes about 24 to 48 hours for your license to transfer, or it did for me anyways. And so while I had full intentions of going in and starting to bail phone calls and informing my clients, my license didn't transfer for two days. So, you know, that was a bit of a culture shock. You know, my Sierra and I were both sitting around here just kind of twiddling our thumbs. Okay, well, what do we do now? So, you know, that, that was an interesting aspect, something that I was not fully expecting. But on the other side of things, I think one thing that was very reassuring as we started to kind of reach out to clients and inform them of our move, it was very heartwarming to see and hear how excited people were for us. And, you know, the overwhelming response, you know, just, you know, people say the nicest things when you leave. Now, granted, we had some clients that we wanted to come with us that did not come with us. And, you know, that was, you know, that we had one client that didn't come with us and, it, you know, it was heartbreaking. He ended actually ended up coming back with us about three months later, but you know, just hearing, hearing the overwhelming response really solidified that I did the right. I, I, I just remembering back, I bet people were proud of you. They were excited for you. They wanted to be part of it. You know, they, they really, let's, let's be honest. We're, while we're not as important in, pe in people's lives as we think we are sometimes, we are important to them as individuals. And if you've built the right bonds, they're going to be really happy for you. So you had some surprises along the way. Were there heartbreaks for clients that did not make the transition? Yeah, it's very interesting. Now that I'm looking back on it now, I'm okay because, you know, we're at a big place. But yeah, so we had, you know, one of our largest clients still has not come over. But, you know, we had plenty of referrals from clients that did come over with us. We've since replaced the revenue from that client. So you know, anything I would tell the new people or anybody thinking about leaving you are going to have some surprises both ways. So you're going to have some surprises from people who you are very sure we're going to come with you and don't, but you're also going to have some surprises of people who you may have thought would have been on the fence who were extremely excited to come with you. So, you know, at the end of the day, it all works itself out. You know, you'll recover from whatever it is, doesn't come over, you know, it, it all, it all ends up for the best. That's great. How about the, how about the other firm? When you left, did they put a transition broker or advisor in the office to try to slow it down? Yeah. So we had a transition broker in the office. I want to say, I think we left on a Thursday or Friday. I want to say they had somebody in there on Monday and they were there for about two or three weeks. And then they had the new advisor that they had signed to that branch in there soon after. So, yeah. So it was war for sure. And then uh, did the firm, were they, were they happy to let you go and just call everybody or did they try to scare you with lots of legal documents? I remember receiving some legal documents along the way, just reminding me of my obligations on what I was supposed to do and not do, which as a new advisor, I was, I was only, I left after two and a half years. So I was not there for very long, but it was, it was a bit scary. Did you ever feel that? Or were you pretty confident in your planning not to worry about that? Yeah. So we see, we got the, the typical letter informing us of our responsibilities. But we also, so we posted a YouTube video just announcing our departure. We didn't say anything negative about the firm. We said we were very thankful. We, you know, just informed our clients of where we were, posted that on Facebook and LinkedIn. And so we did end up getting a TRO regarding that. And they just told us that we had to take the video down. You know, so that was a whole thing. That was pretty scary getting that letter in the mail. Until I read it and figured out what it was about. And it was just, you know, he's like, okay, well, we'll just take that down and move on. So, yeah. 
So no big deal. So it worked. And, and here you are today. What, what, when you look back, what percentage of your clients or assets do you think you brought with you? That you, that you, let me, let me, let me put a caveat that you wanted to bring. Cause we ultimately, you're always going to leave a few people that, you know, the relationship's just not what you expected or the, the, the client is just not as, uh, you're just not connecting with them as well. So there's always going to be a few you're not interested in. We're on about 76% of assets of where we were when we left. And so, you know, it's funny because you talk about the clients that you want to bring with you. When I was gearing up to leave, you know, you kind of have this mental list of the people that you want to bring with you. And then inevitably, when people start to hear about your departure, you're actually going to have clients start to reach out to you. And I think the, you know, one of the questions you had given me here was one of the biggest mistakes or something like that. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made was there are a few clients brought with us that we probably shouldn't have, but you know, it's just when you're changing from a W2 job to being a business owner, it's like, okay, well, I'll take any revenue I can get. Right. And I'm looking at where we are today. Some of these people, not a lot, but there's a few that I was like, okay, well, maybe we should have brought them, but you know, it is what it is. Sure. They're not going to sink your ship at this point. And uh, it does, and one of the other cool things is at an LPL, at least from what Greg talks about, is you have a call center. So if it, the relationship doesn't work out the right way, it's not like you can't give that client back to LPL to service. So there, there's, there's always a, there's always an escape valve, if you will, when you're uh, when you're independent, which is great. Looking back, how do you rate your uh, on a scale of one to ten? How do you rate your your transition? Was it a was it everything you dreamed of and more, or was it terrible? I know it wasn't terrible where you're at. So where do you, where do you rank that? I mean, for me, I think it'd be a 10. We moved, we moved almost all of our book within about 45 days. Awesome. So we moved very quickly. We had a, you know, we had, it was me, Sierra and my wife, and then a, an LPL transition rep in here doing paperwork and getting it done. They worked extremely hard the first few weeks, I mean, some very long days. And, uh, you know, we got it done. And so, you know, it was kind of interesting because I, you know, was worried about, you know, what's my pay going to look like for the first six months when we never even missed a paycheck. So, you know, it was just, it was very reassuring to, to have the response that we did. And then people were very quick to sign paperwork. Everything got moved over and we certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, it's a whole new system and I'm still learning the system to this day, but. Yeah, overall, I would definitely rate it a 10 for me. That's great. Awesome. Congratulate. And, and I think a lot of that you're planning on the back end. I mean, these transitions just don't happen successfully because you wake up one day and decide to switch firms. Your prep work, it had to be intense. And we won't go into that just because of legal considerations. But I, I think the people that transition successfully, and we, I just, we, we have a friend of the, the show who did, he did this recently. And his, his success mirrors yours. And the reason he was so successful, in my opinion, is the prep work he did on the back end, the, the connecting with clients, the prep work on the back end so he could execute on the front end and, and essentially not close that branch down, but bring everything he wanted. And obviously you're going to have surprises. There's always going to be somebody who you, you think you're rock solid with, and then you, you realize Maybe they just wanted the firm and it, you're, it wasn't as, it was it wasn't as deep, but you're out on the other side of that and, and you're, you're independent now. Let's talk about what's next because that's the transition. Like what, what's next for Stoic Wealth? What's next for Matt Cook? What are you doing? 
So we are in the process right now of hiring a client relationship manager. And so, you know, we, we listened to a Barron's top 100 advisor a couple of weeks ago talk. And one of the things that she mentioned that really stuck out to me was you can't work on the business and be in the business at the same time. And so, you know, you guys talk about this all the time on the show about how you are not, you know, doing annual reviews is not your favorite task in the world. For me personally, I love the business development side of things. I like meeting new people. I like doing the initial planning, you know, the more complex the case, the more I love. So I like that aspect of it. But what we're doing now is we're bringing on this relationship manager who can be the liaison to help the client implement our plan. And then eventually as they get, you know, they have enough knowledge and, and technical skills, essentially, they will eventually be running the annual reviews for the clients because, you know, it, you know, as well as I do, the annual reviews, you talk about performance, you update a few things in the plan, but the bulk of the, the work is done up front. And so that's something that we're trying to work on now. And then, you know, we're just, we're heavily in growth mode. We're investing a lot of the money, extra money that we're making now back into the business. You know, for me, both my parents were entrepreneurs. They built a business and, and sold it a while back. And so you know, I understand the return on capital for investing in your business. Love it. And so, you know, like you guys talk about a lot, a lot of times, if I take a thousand dollars and I invest it in some sort of lead generation, some sort, and I get one client from that who generates a thousand dollars a month, well, that's, that's not only bottom line revenue for our firm, but it adds to our, the value of our business long-term. You know, we're really pumping a lot of capital back into the business, trying to grow this thing. Yeah, I, I don't think most advisors have any conceptual idea of what what a client really is worth over their lifetime. And, and if you think about a million dollar client, $10,000 a year revenue, and let's imagine you keep it for 10 years, that's $100,000. If that client costs you $2,000 to land, I mean, the return on that is just amazing. So the idea that advisors don't pump more money into marketing efforts to to realize that return on capital is it's just always shocking to me it's i'm it, there's no there's no business in the world where if you could do that in any other business procter and gamble or or tesla or apple they, they would spend that all day long to be able to have that return on, on capital but advisors are we're in a magical business man and it's just completely magical and luckily for us, most people are really lazy. Most advisors are really lazy around it because now you can go out and, and game the system. When you, Matt, when you look back, anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I'd have kept my mouth shut, you know, because you, you know, you talk to, you know, you talk to people, friends, things like that, explain, you know, you bounce ideas off of them, tell them what you're thinking about doing. And, you know, unfortunately, things like that always, seem, you know, seem to leap somehow. And so, you know, when you're talking about making a transition that could potentially jeopardize your career, if somebody found out or the wrong person found out, you know, that's something I would just tell people would just be very, very cautious about who you tell anything to if you have any intentions of leaving. Yeah, good, good advice. This is a, this is a move that is all about your entire life. I mean, you've spent years or decades building your business. Don't, don't screw it up because you want to brag to some guy next door about it. So I know when you, I know when you leave a firm, you, you might leave some relationships behind. And for a lot of people, those relationships are really important. You've worked with people for five, 10, 15, 20 years. 
And the idea that you're not going to be part of that circle anymore is really scary because work becomes a big part of our lives. Was that an issue for you? Have you been able to maintain those relationships or did it even matter? It certainly mattered to me. You know, I think the relationships that we had, many of them were simply business relationships. You see them a couple of times a year at an event and, you know, that's pretty much what it is. You shake hands, say nice, these things like that. But we did develop a lot of really good friendships over the years. And so the people that we're friends with or were friends with then were still very good friends with now. And then the people that we weren't, were not anymore. So that doesn't really affect me much. You know, we're going to Vegas with a good friend of mine who still works at the company. So we still keep very much in touch with them. But yeah, and so when we left, you know, I certainly didn't want to build or burn any bridges when we left. So, you know, I, I took my resignation letter to my regional leader's office. I gave him a bottle of bourbon, you know, we did our thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, the firm that I worked for was very good to me. They gave me a lot of resources. They helped me develop into who I am now. And so I'm extremely grateful for them, extremely thankful for everything that they did. And so I certainly did not want to burn that bridge at all. So, yeah, I think it's great. I, I think you did it right. I mean, you, you went out like a professional, uh, looked somebody in the eye, handed him your letter and gave him a little gift so they couldn't hate you too much. And there's a lot of value in that, you know, hand, handle your business like a professional and don't, don't leave under the cover of darkness and fax your letter in or, or whatever you feel comfortable with. Obviously you've got to talk to your attorney and, and figure that out. And that, that's one of the other questions I had. Did you have, did you have legal counsel and did you talk to attorneys before you made this transition? We did. So we, we spoke to legal counsel. We talked to them about what we could and could not say, what we could and could not take with us. They advised us to have all clients sign a non-solicitation letter and basically just stating that we requested statements, pertinent information. We did not solicit their business. And then the client signed that. And then, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it, but it was very helpful to kind of have them in our corner. And then when we did get that TRO regarding video, they were the ones that communicated with the firm's legal. Perfect. Yeah. It, it, because you don't want to do this. You don't want to deal with your attorneys because attorneys are there to represent the other firm and, and ultimately get what they want for the firm. So I think it makes complete sense. So my advice to anybody considering the transition is really have those conversations, figure out what you can do and what you can't do. And then as long as you stay on the right side of the law, you, you will not have problems. The people, the people that really get in trouble in a big way, they're always breaking the rules. They always don't think somebody's going to figure it out and everybody does eventually. So you might as well follow the rules because the idea of getting, getting injunction or going before a judge about this is just frightening for anybody at any level, no matter how deep your pockets are, they're not deeper than the firm that is coming after you. So stay on the right side of the law. Matt, you know, as we kind of wrap up today and as we talk about your business, any, any kind of final thoughts, any final advice, anything you want to add to the conversation here? I would just say for anybody considering a move, make sure if you're, if you're going the independent route, make sure you're ready to be a business owner because there's a lot more to our roles now as an independent advisor. You have, you know, you have to manage people. You have to manage, you know, you, your balance sheet, you know, you've got to do all this stuff. Now we outsource a lot of that stuff to like a CFO service. But, you know, there's a lot more to going into running a business than there is just being an employee advisor, right? And so there were certain things about being an employee advisor that I want. 
you know, I do it in the business with my clients and I go home and I didn't have to worry about it. But now, you know, there's a lot more added responsibilities in this. And it's just something to consider. Ask yourself, are you sure that you want to be a business owner? Because if you don't, you know, being an employee advisor, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think there's a lot of people out there who that's a good model for. So just make sure you know what you're getting yourself into and don't let the higher fee outs draw you away from a good situation if that's the only driving force for you. Yeah, sage advice. Being a business owner is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes, especially as you grow and you have employee and staff issues or you have you have all these all these demands on you. So I think it's really important if you're going to go independent, it's the grass is not always greener on the other side. And like Matt referred to earlier, it's not all about the money. There is a lot more to it than that. You can make incredible money being an employee, employee advisor, incredible money. People have built incredible in that world and great lifestyle. So it's not, don't do it for the money. Matt, I want to thank you. And I really appreciate you sharing your journey. You've done it the right way. You run a heck of a business. It's exciting to learn about your growth. And I can't wait to watch you continue to build that firm out and grow. And, and hopefully, you know, in another year or two, we can have you back on the show and, and figure out where you're at then. Because you're on, you're on a rocket ship, it sounds like, and I can't wait to hear where, where it lands. So thanks for joining, folks. Thanks for being part of the, the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. If you want to connect with us, go out to the EliteAdvisorLab.com. Again, EliteAdvisorLab.com. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week. Thank you.